You know, my mom made me get a pen pal when I was a kid. I, I can't remember his name, which is terrible. But I think my mom wanted me to have a friend. I think she wanted me to know that the world was bigger than my neighborhood. He was in the middle of the country. I don't know. Maybe Oklahoma. I can't really remember. Maybe it was Chuck or Ben. I don't know. Doesn't matter. He didn't have much to say. He wasn't a very interesting guy. You know, the cell, everybody was long distance calling at the time. I think my mom wanted me to connect to people in sort of an old fashioned way. And I think she knew the importance of mail to a kid. And honestly, the most important mail I ever got as a younger man was my subscription to Slam Magazine. Slam Magazine made me whole. I found my people. And this week, Slam Magazine is celebrating their 30th anniversary. Happy 30th anniversary to Slam Magazine. We just had the Immortal Scoop Jackson on a few weeks ago. And today, we're getting the band back together. It's a reunion right here on First Ballot. Welcome to First Ballot, the podcast that celebrates the sports moments that really matter and inducts them into the First Ballot Hall of Fame. People all across this planet have called this program the skybox of podcasts. Who said that? I said it. I'm your host, Neil, a.k.a. Gotham Coach, a.k.a. the Glass City Cobra, the Reebok Pump God, the podcast Jordan Clarkson, half Filipino, half the Jewish, half of Jordan Farmar, as you know. I'm not the biggest Lakers fan. I am the best Lakers fan. Mr. Not Always Right, but Never Ever Wrong. Coming to you live from the Shaquille O'Neal Office Depot, big and tall executive suite desk chair. The first ballot Hall of Fame is brought to you by Ball is Life and the Ball is Life Podcast Network. This podcast available wherever you listen to your favorite podcast, but it's available in all of those places because of the support of Ball is Life. As I started sort of writing today's intro, I realized... Paula's life, the what we're talking about today, our subject today, is sort of the progenitor to Ball's life. I don't know that Ball's life exists without the uh, publication we're going to FET today. I appreciate that. I appreciate being part of the Ball's life family. Today's episode might seem like it's all about one thing, but it's really all about me. This is about me today. This is a personal thing for me. And it also might be, I'm guessing, and also might be about you listening. Slam Magazine was the first mail that came to just me that wasn't from my grandmother. It was mine. It was for me. I would read through sports magazines as a kid, and I'm like flipping through the pages. I'm like, I don't give a shit about the fucking Olympics. Did they do anything about basketball in this? And then Slam comes through, and I go, wait, this is, that's, it's like this was made for me. And it was a deeply personal thing. I'm sure it was for everybody else that's listening to this. I'm tearing out pictures. I'm scrapbooking. Like, this, the Slam Magazine made me a scrapbooker as a kid. Th that's how strong the connection was. Anyhow, uh, Slam Magazine made me realize there were people who were just like me, who were obsessed about basketball. I sort of, in my brain, think... It will be difficult to explain to a kid who has the internet what it was like 
to find a community of folks that were as obsessed about something like basketball as I was as a kid. It just anyway. The point is, Slam Magazine it really touched me. It really hit me. Slam Magazine is an institution. It has endured, and Slam Magazine is having their thirtieth anniversary this year. 1994 to 2024, and today we're dedicating a very special episode of this podcast to a publication that's meant so much to me, to all of us, and we're celebrating it with some folks who made it all happen. My first guest has been on this show before. He helped induct Scottie Pippen's dunk over Patrick Ewing into the first ballot Hall of Fame. He's an exceptionally talented writer and editor. He was all over the N1 documentary. It made me very jealous. He's currently editor-in-chief over at 1.37 p.m. I consider him a friend. We've worked together, but most importantly, he was the longest tenured editor-in-chief of Slam Magazine from 2006 to 2016. It's Mr. Ben Osborne. Ben, thank you for coming back, sir. Thank you, Neil. Always a pleasure. Very excited about this. And uh... Uh, Great, Ben. Stop talking. This isn't about you. I have to bring in other guests. My next guest. <laughs> My next guest is better writer than, than uh, Ben Osborne. He joined Slam Magazine in the year 2000, stayed 12 years, initially launching the website first as an online editor before becoming an executive editor and finally as an editor at large. This man created Slam Links. I had something on Slam Links once. They posted something to this uh, the God of Coach blog that I ran. And it thrilled me to be in some way tangentially associated with Slam Magazine. He's worked for GQ, NBA TV, NBA Digital, The New York Times, Esquire, Sports Illustrated, and more. He co-founded The Classical, which I love. He was the... He, he is the author of In the Time of Bobby Cox, The Atlanta Braves, their manager, my couch, two decades in me. He worked for the Atlanta Hawks. He now works for the Memphis Grizzlies, Grizz Gaming, and Grind City Media. It's the legendary Lang Whitaker. Lang. Thanks. After all that, I thought you should have ended it with, here he is, Russ Bankston. <laughs> 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 Lang, I'm so excited and happy to meet you. Uh, uh, I can't get, wait to get to know you a little bit more. I have one more intro I have to do. My final guest today is a man I've been slowly but surely waiting to meet since I started following him on Twitter, I don't know, 14 years ago. I blame him and these gentlemen that we have here today for this Twitter thing that I'm trying to break is, you know, with, with every uh, fiber in my body trying to break this addiction that I have to Twitter. I blame the men here today for my Twitter addiction realizing that I could follow these gentlemen that I've been following and reading their work for years was what hooked me. It's their fault. Twitter's hell. Uh, our, our last guest, he, maybe he's the fifth person I followed. I can't remember, but Slam Magazine's up there as well. Anyhow, he was a longtime sneaker editor for Complex. He's the author of A History of Basketball and 15 Sneakers, which just went into its second printing. Congratulations there. But most importantly to us today, he was one of Slam Magazine's first hires. He worked at the magazine for 10 years, was the editor-in-chief for half that time. Our last guest is a man who fellow guest today, Ben Osborne, told me is, quote, the most gifted writer in the history of Slam Magazine, unquote. It's the immortal Russ Bankston. Wow. Yay. Thank you very much. Uh, Scoop Jackson is the best writer in the history of Slam. <laughs> I can only hope to... Uh, following his footsteps but um thank you thank you guys you. are all you and guys if, are you, all. if you need to really leave twitter i'll send you a blue sky invite <laughs> <laughs> i'd appreciate it. uh you guys are all fantastic we just had scoop on it's you know i you know, i was talking to ben and i was like 
shit, I got to do like a full on like slam love fest thing. Uh, and, and then I realized that you, the 30th anniversary coming up. So I'm so glad to have all of you with us here today. Uh, if I may just for a moment, Russ, a history of basketball and 15 sneakers, congrats on the second printing. My nephew is opening a Christmas gift from my wife and I, he's unwrapping this thing. The snow is gently falling outside my window. I'm drinking like hot chocolate. He opens up the wrapping and it's the history of basketball and 15 sneakers <laughs> and i like turn to my wife and i'm like wait we got him that as a gift and she's like yeah and i'm like i could have gotten i, I could have called in a favor and maybe gotten like an autograph or something and and she's like well why, why would i think that you know any of these people and i'm like <laughs> relax hold on let's take this down a second uh anyways it is a perfect gift my wife was like it's a perfect goddamn gift for this kid is it not and i'm like a hundred percent it is congrats on the book how has the rollout been were you more excited about my nephew getting the book or you giving inscribed copy to ted lasso's jason sudeikis <laughs> thank you uh it's been really good um and actually the most exciting thing about it has been seeing kids read it mm. you know it's like seeing friends who get it and then like oh yeah like my son picked it up and hasn't put it down yet um no pressure lang but um <laughs> Yeah, I mean, seeing seeing like new um, kids who haven't been into that sort of thing get into it is very cool. And uh, actually, it's funny, like, I feel like writing it gave me a new perspective mm. on sneakers that I so desperately needed. Like, I'm obviously and anyone who follows me on social media knows I'm completely jaded by the whole thing. But like, um, you know, writing it let me look at a bunch of older shoes in the sense of like, wait, what was it like when these first happened? Yes. And kind of made me think like, wait a minute, why do I have to care about all this old stuff now as like retro product? Like, why don't I start looking at new stuff again? And that kind of kicked that back off. That's awesome. Yeah, it's funny. I mean, even Slam, and I, and again, I, I, I keep like talking about Slam Magazine and basketball in general is like this small thing, but that's the way it felt to me as a kid. Like when I was a kid, basketball was such a huge deal. And I've told this story before on the on the pod. I remember online going online and seeing a Sean Kemp dunk highlight on compilation on youtube oh, pardon not on youtube on the internet somewhere on some like you know streaming site some quick time streaming you know site and thinking oh this is what the internet can be and it just in my brain because no one else in my family liked basketball or loved basketball the way i was this magazine really goddamn landed on me in a time that just connected me to other fans made me realize I was part of a community. And again, then it sort of exploded on social media. This is all your guys fault. This like, uh, Oh my God. I how do you think Lang felt when he started getting personal text messages from a guy that, you know, we grew up watching do crazy dunks as in, in Sean Sean Kemp. Kemp. Yeah. <laughs> emails. He, he had a emails, emails, part of yeah. me. Sean Kemp's emailing you. What's he emailing you about? No. I don't know. Lots of stuff. He was, <laughs> no, Statute of limitations might not have run out on that stuff. I would say though that I think that when you're talking about you know seeing these videos of dunks and stuff, I remember like 2002, three, four, when we were starting Slam Online, and there was no way to embed videos. You know, their their video didn't really exist. So like you would have to get like an animated GIF of. Mm. a dunk or something and post that that was like the best you could do it's just hope you you know it'd be like you know eight pixels by eight pixels it'd be this tiny little thing and blow it up and it looked all granular and stuff but um i think 
the word you keep hitting on, you said in your intro, you said it just now is community. And I think that's kind of the sweet spot for Slam was unintentionally really though, but it, but Slam was a community and it kind of found this community of people who were obsessed with sneaker basketball culture, all that kind of stuff. Um, and, you know, we weren't trying to cater to this community. This was just the stuff we all liked, but, but that we found a community and we're able to kind of nurture and grow this community. I think also what's cool is like, you know, you talk about like slam pulling you into things and it's like, that's something that all four of us have in common. Mm. Like none of us were there at the very, very, very beginning. You know, it's like I got hired by Tony when Dave Lewis left. Um, Ben started as an intern when I was there, you know, like we hired Lang um, from Atlanta and there's, of course, a funny story behind that from when I went to Atlanta and realized like my cell phone, which was a super old Nokia, only worked in New York City. Um, so I got there and looked at it. It's like, wait a minute, this doesn't. So I was like working out of my hotel in Atlanta. But, um, you know, just to say like Slam drew us all in too. like we might have become, um, you know, big parts of it, but it existed before any of us. You know, I remember walking into, uh, I was in a supermarket in Delaware at like 2 a.m. and I found issue one on the newsstand and flipped through it and was like, okay, this is something I have to get involved with. (laughs) Um, You know, I think we all have similar stories to that. Hopefully not at the same supermarket in Delaware because that'd be really (laughs) weird. That's a great call, Russ. Yeah, even in 1997, it was already like a bit of a dream job to, to be there. Neil, you know, because so, same thing, issue one, freshman year of college, you know, my friend put that thing all over his wall and, you know, the game, the game had changed and it was like, you didn't have to just dream of working at a newspaper. You know? I, I was, I was in journalism school at the University of Georgia and I went in the bookstore and I saw the, the Chris Weber cover, the black and white one. And that yes. was the first time I saw it and I picked it up and I was like, oh my gosh. And then Russ though, I have a grocery store story too, not in Delaware, but <laughs> After I was out of school and I was trying to like get a job and make money as a writer, I would go to the grocery store magazine section late at night, um, and I couldn't afford to buy the magazines. But I would look through the magazines and find ones I thought maybe I could write for or whatever, and I would take the subscription cards out and write the name of like the managing editor or whoever on the card and take it with me and then email them and try to uh. like get in. And, and I, that's what it was slam, you know, and I emailed Susan and uh, – and, here we are and it's like you know slam was kind of like almost like a proto internet if you want to look at it that way for basketball where it's like you know if you were a sports writer and you were growing up in the 80s and 90s you said pro tro (laughs) but i'm saying like you would look at sports illustrated and it's like yo i'm not going to be able to write like what alexander wolf is writing i'm not going to be able to write a forty thousand word piece like gary smith but it's like if you pick up slam and it's like Mm -hmm. oh wait there's all these little you know, 100, 200 word pieces up front. Like I could potentially do one of those. Yes. And that's the thing. My first piece for Slam ever was in the first Jordan cover, which I think was issue five. And I pitched Tony on a bunch of different stuff via fax. I am not old. <laughs> um, and it was something about Sean Bradley getting dunked on all the time. And <laughs> like, I think it was one of those things that got assigned to me at like 300 words. I probably turned in 800 and I think I had to look through hype like four times to find it. Cause it ran at literally 150. Like it was this big. 
And it was still like an incredible thing. It's like, wait a minute, I'm actually published in this national magazine, oh like God. about basketball, making fun of Sean Bradley. So fantastic. Who, um, piece of Sean Bradley, who is yeah. still, yeah, you know, recovering from this horrible bike crash. Um, but yeah, I mean, it, it was it was something that was like, it seemed doable. Mm. So wait, so hold on. So Lang just told a great story about going, and by the way, I would do the same thing. I'd go into that magazine section, and I'd spend like 20 minutes there, and the people would be like, what are you doing? And I'm like, oh, I'm just, you know, leafing through magazines, but I'm only reading Slam Magazine the whole way through because I didn't have a subscription out of the gate. Lang is pulling out those cards and writing names and emailing. Russ, how do you end up seeing the magazine and then turning that into work there? Well, like I said, it, it was it was faxing at the time, like and sending clips. You know, it's like somewhere I still have it. I have like a letter from or a, fa- a FedEx from Tony, um, or no, actually no, it wasn't. This was pre FedEx. I mean, this wasn't the FedEx. I have a note written to me by the editor of like the Alternative Monthly I was working at at that point, and it was like. Something about like Tony, Tony called from slam. He liked your shit. Wow. Like that was the written message. And, you know, at that point I just redoubled sending them in ideas. Like, and it was a small operation, Mm -hmm. you know? And I think that's the crazy thing to me too. Like looking back at it, like it was such a small operation, even through like Ben and Lang's tenure, you know, it's like, here you have this glossy, like crazy professional looking magazine being produced by like, three insane people in a closet <laughs> in New York city. Yeah. Um, you know, it wasn't a matter of having like an entire floor. It's not right. like we had a research department right. or a photo department or like fact checking, whatever else. Yeah. Fact. Well, psh. um, <laughs> you know, it was so few of us doing this thing that was, that wound up being like so influential, you know? And like, maybe I'm saying it cause I'm wearing a band t-shirt, but it was like, a, we were like a band. <laughs> Uh, it was, you know what? It was kind of like a zine, I think. Or I, uh, I've told people this before too, Russ. That like it, part of I think why Slam magazines were always so good was like, hey, I mean, there was no one like telling us no, really. You know, like I mean, Dennis <laughs> would occasionally be like, hey, maybe we can't do that or that. But you know, some of the headlines and stuff like we would use and stuff, and we would just do it. Like there was no one to say no, and so like we were kind of just we had a lot of freedom to do editorial freedom to do whatever we wanted. And it was like, we were just could do whatever we wanted, but then we also had like real ads and and real, like there was real money coming in to fund doing this stuff, which, you know, shout out that department. But like we, there was, there was sort of a separation there and we could kind of do what we wanted as long as we occasionally did a story about the, the tri headband or whatever, you know, <laughs> the D band. Yeah, I'm wearing one under this hat. It's a great. It's it's very true though. I mean, given we've all worked at subsequent places with a lot more yes. guidelines. You know, Dennis Page was you know identified talent, worked his ass off to make money, and left the rest of us to pretty much do what we wanted. Chimed in intelligently on covers, but like Lang said, I mean, we could get away with really whatever we wanted on the inside the issue i mean current publications have more like editorial layers than we had editorial people um (laughs) you know and like yeah we we definitely did some things where it's like wait a minute why didn't someone tell us no i mean and it's a shame he's not on here because he could yell at me for it but i remember ryan um you know scoop wrote a story on ricky davis and the entire story was one and two word sentences yeah whole story like (laughs) <laughs> 3,000 words of one word sentences. And I think, 
I'm pretty sure Ryan still wants to murder me because of that. Because I just passed it on to him. I was like, all right, here you go. (laughs) How do you edit that? How do you edit a story that's all one word sentences? You can't. So we basically just ran it as it was. But, you know, Scoop in particular, it's like. You you, you just couldn't. What were you going to do with it? You know, you're not going to you're not going to take what Scoop wrote and turn it into some like regulation magazine piece like that wasn't the point. Um, and I, and that was something that was established from issue one, Mm. you know, it's like, if you go back to issue one, which is an issue that Corey Johnson edited before Tony got hired, you know, Bones Malone was writing pieces and like Bones again was free to, you know, just, yo, like we have you, so do whatever you want. And I think that did at least that attitude stuck, like as far as I know, up to now. I think like and Ben and like when Ben and I were kind of running it, we had Bree Darko write features, and we had the Wiz Nuts, which is like yes. insane. The best. Insane, oh God, I love those guys. insane blog. They still exist on Twitter. They're great, but like we had them write a couple of features for the magazine because like why not? Like you know, like how do we zig when everyone else is zagging? So that was you should have put that wizard mascot on the cover. <laughs> <laughs> the creepy one. I, I actually I found a headline the other day though. I saw some headline the other day where we did some story about t-shirts and the headline was Tease Nuts. <laughs> or somebody who collected t-shirts or something. But I was like, who would get it? Like we would never get away with that today if you, but if, you know if you go back and that might even be before you were full time. Like I know like there was an issue where like we were just listening to uh, no, Stankonia was, in the office was, all the time. That was the, and I think literally every headline in the entire issue was an outcast reference. <laughs> that's, the, uh, that's the Stefan Marbury cover. The, the Starberry, the one in Coney Island that we shot. Uh, the, that, you know, that's the one I was it, telling you about, Neil. Yeah, yes. In that issue, there's something like 48 Stankonia references. Uh, wow, I didn't even think it was that early, but yeah. that's crazy. Cause, no, because the spyline Stefonia. You're oh right. okay right. okay yes right oh, oh at least he went God. to georgia tech close right. enough <laughs> close and i wrote enough. the story so like we had, we had a lot of connections there and we hung I'm, out at coney island all day you know yeah. it's like i i just that story is still one of my favorite ones like yeah you know and, and not to take up too much but like the idea was to shoot it like the epmd album cover with mm. when they were both sitting on their cars mm. so i was like okay steph you need to bring two cars I remember telling him this at like Continental Airlines Arena and I'm like, make sure one is your Bentley. Yeah. And of course he shows up with two Bentleys <laughs> and we're there like early in the morning and you could hear them coming because they were driving with the stereos so loud. Oh, they were yeah. setting off car alarms. Oh my God. Like up Mermaid Avenue. Uh, and we were this just there like all day long. That was the first time I ever rode in a Bentley. Uh, <laughs> and the last. <laughs> so i wait. shot hoops with we shot hoops at like coney island all day with uh, ebo who now is like post-college right like played college ball no Bassy. but ebo who was like even the yeah, younger but, like know, he was like, sebastian's Bassy was there sebastian. too, right? like, like all those people were there that day i think he showed up yeah i mean steph was definitely like the mayor of coney island yeah that was cool I, I I have so much. I just want to say something. I want to take a moment and go. I'm looking at my screen. We're recording this remotely. I'm looking at my screen and I'm seeing Lang Whitaker, Russ Bankston, Ben Osborne on this show. And it really warms my heart to see you gentlemen back together, reunited, talking about this magazine. It really means a lot. I want to identify, I like identifying some, some themes throughout episodes 
One being all three of you gentlemen being kind of sort of stupid enough to think that you could turn this um, affection for this magazine into a job. I think that's important to recognize having that moment where you're dumb enough to think I can turn this into my career. Uh, and then two, I also appreciated you guys mentioning the idea of being left alone, of there being leadership that goes, let me put the hands of this creative project in these people that I trust and leaving it alone. I hope that's a, a trend that continues. It does seem to be the benchmark and hallmark of good content whether it be you know online written stuff sports stuff or even te television film work etc um the the, the i want to ask about this uh you know going to coney and and playing with steph uh playing with with bassy all the the times that you guys spent with them is it hard as they go, let's shoot, let's start playing? Is it hard to remember to do your job? Aren't you just like sucked into playing in Coney Island with these dudes and you just forget about the work that you're actually supposed to do? Um, I mean, that was our job. That's the way I look at it. Mm. You know, it's like, what's a, you're shooting a cover. What do you need? You know, it's like, you don't need a thousand frames to get a cover. Right. You need yeah. 10. Yeah. You know, our job, the way I look at it, we were like kind of liaisons to these players. We were like the, when we did our job right, we didn't even exist. Like we were just mm. getting the players, whatever it was, to the audience, which we were part of, you know? And it's like, yeah, that happened in like super raw form with diaries and stuff. But like, I think even in stories, it's like, you know, it, it was a matter of like just translating that stuff for the audience. And it's like, I think, and I think all of us dealt with it. You know, it's like, you'd have like beat writers who at the time, and I find this ironic seeing that we're all that now, but like 50 something year old white guys <laughs> being like, you know, oh, well, you're just fans. And it's like, yeah, we are. <laughs> you're not like, what's wrong with you? Yeah. I think you see, I mean, you see it now a lot more where people who are covering i mean this is what blogs are right it's people who are fans of something covering it and and there's a lot more i think investment in the teams and the players from from some of the writers now there's still people who are you know clearly upset about having to cover the teams that they cover but for the most part like you know we we were doing it because we we loved it and you, you know neil to your point about like you know we we we're sort of foolhardy enough to look at this and think we can make a career out of this. I don't know if any of us thought that this was going to be something we made a career out of. Like we all needed jobs, you know, like this was, and we were, we all were, we, I think we all, I'll speak for all of us. We all felt super lucky to have this job. Um, and we all, you know, loved it. And this is what we wanted to do. But like, I wasn't thinking, all right, I'm going to take this and transition and go work for, you know, GQ after this or whatever. Like I, I was just doing what I like to do. I think we, we yeah. all kind of were. We, we were having so much fun. Like that's, what's really, you know, and yeah. we, you know, Neil, that was like, you, no one could work from home. So that was, we were in the office, right. you know, right. I mean, come in when you want, but we were grinding. And then, you know, during the season, you know, we were going to games all the time. Like we didn't have to, we weren't filing stories, you know, yeah. I mean, eventually we started to do game notes or whatever on the, on the internet, but like we would go to games really just for fun mm. bullshit in the locker room. You know, we had a, we had a special 
we could take the I was thinking of Skyline. We had like access to the to the, 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 the company had basically no perks whatsoever, Harris Publications, except for like a pretty nice car service that we had the we had the we, we were so we would take that to the Meadowlands and take we it ran that up. Yeah. So um but it but the point is it's not like no one was raised, you know, we didn't have families yet. Like no one we would come in work pretty hard all day long but laugh listen to music whatever and then just go watch more basketball you know and no one was telling us to do that and and like the crazy thing is and like this is like how times change like it took like three years for us to get season credentials Mm. to the knicks and the nets amazing like i have like a full shopping bag of single game credentials because i was like wait a minute you're really not going to give us a season credential like you know i'm (laughs) gonna go to every single home game so you want me to fax a request for every single home game of course of course you still have all those right (laughs) yeah well you know what can you do i'll donate them this to the hall of fame someday (laughs) but uh yeah i mean we went to like every game possible and i I just want to circle back to like to the idea of like um, you know, playing ball with these guys or whatever else. It's like, make no mistake. Like, look, we might look like a mess. We might've put out something, whatever, but like, we were all professionals. Yeah, like if we went to a shoot and like, it was something where it's like, you have a half an hour, like we're doing the shoot right. and just that. And right. like getting that person out in that amount of time, like someone like Steph or, um, even like KG later on, like we recognize like, okay, like these guys are down, like they don't have something to do. Like we're just going to hang out because like you're going to get a much better story out of that. But you know, if we had to shoot something in a certain amount of time, we were getting that shoot done. I mean, I remember like Iverson, one of his covers (laughs) to preface it, we went to Philly to shoot him after practice and we were told he'd be available and he just left. Like he left during practice and was gone and we were fully set up for a shoot in Philadelphia and had to break it down and drive home. Like, and we ended up getting the shoot. They just dragged him aside into a room when he was going out on the court for a game. And we got like 10 frames and one of them became a cover. So when did that change? When did it, or did it ever change? When did it become I have to fight for this guy. We have to message this guy, you know, a hundred different times to get him to come in for 10 minutes to do a cover. When did it become people coming to you guys and going, I want to be a part of this. Can my person sit down? Hey, I, Hey, good to meet you. Can I be on the cover someday? When did that sort of turn happen? It was always that it was that when I got there in 95 Mm -hmm. or 96, I guess when I started out of the office, you know, it's like we had, I remember writing an Anton Walker story that we headlined cover story because he wouldn't shut up about being on the cover. (laughs) And it's like, no matter how many times we told him, like, dog, like, we're doing somebody else on the cover. Um, You know, guys wanted that from the beginning. I flew all the way to Seattle to do a Gary Payton story, and he wouldn't talk to me because we weren't doing him on the cover. And, like, I went out there anyway because, like, as Ben said, like, yeah, we had the Skyline budget, but we also had, like, the okay, if you're writing a feature on somebody, you fly out somewhere for three days, go to two games in a practice to be able to do it instead of, you know, now where it's like, okay, you're writing a cover story. You have 30 minutes on Zoom. True. I Uh, saw this whole, I saw this whole country thanks to Slam. Yeah. Yeah, So like, I didn't, that was the thing. Like I knew he wasn't going to talk to me one-on-one, but it didn't matter because I knew I could talk to everybody else while I was there. Right. Um, 
the funny kind of postscript to that was I talked to him before the game against the Lakers they were playing. And he was like, yo, like, look, I'm still not going to sit down and do a one-on-one with you. But after the game, like, go ahead, ask your questions. Like, I'll answer anything you want. And of course, the Sonics blew like a 10-point fourth quarter lead. <laughs> and he just got dressed and left. He didn't talk to anyone. So. <laughs> no I, I had plenty of dudes, yeah, messaging me just saying, hey, I, I need to get on the cover. When's the cover oh. happening? You know, I think the only guys... I mean, he, I mean, LeBron was never like messaging us, but he was willing to do stuff. You know, Kobe was willing to do stuff. I can't really think of anybody. I mean, Michael Jordan was probably the hardest for us to get, and, and we still we got time with him too. Eventually, I mean, to me, there were there were like there were like three generations of players. You could break it down into three generations of active players. You had guys who became superstars before Slam existed, right? And those guys were mostly like. They didn't quite get it. Right. You know, a Barkley, a Carl Malone, yeah. even a Reggie Miller, even though we made fun of him for like 100 issues straight. So I think he <laughs> kind of figured it out. Um, then you had the guys who became right. superstars, like as Slam started, you know, that would have been like Marbury, Kobe, Iverson, you know, and they kind of got it. And they, they realized like this was important for them. And then literally you have everyone after that who got into basketball with Slam as a thing. And I think they all, you know, were down for it. I think now we're getting into another era where it's like players having their own social media. Maybe the stuff isn't as important anymore. So um, I'm kind of curious watching how that Mm -hmm. plays out. I think, you know, I I think I do think the cover is still like certainly like Russ is saying, I think the kids that came up as slam was blowing up pre-social media that might have been one of their top three moments but i would bet now it's still a top you know cooper flag yeah. was excited to be on that on that cover and a nba rookie that's getting on for the first time um mm-hmm. i mean lang you did the you know you've you've done some recent ones with grizzlies or whoever i i do think the slam cover still has some uh, cachet. And if you ask Adam, you know, half the messages he gets are agents or players. I believe it. Yo, when am I getting on the cover? So the, 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 yeah. if, if we've lost any, if a publication like slam has lost a little bit, a very little bit to this, you know, uh, athlete produced content, that is a shame. And that is at the loss of the audience and the fans because getting something curated, you guys getting the opportunity to put this together, getting the real estate and the space, the latitude to go make these things, to go connect with these folks, which now I go, of course you connected with these people. Of course you played with them. Of course you had real time with them because you can see it in the writing. You can see it in the, in the pieces that you guys did in the relationships that you guys built. Russ, you mentioned, uh, uh, you know, the, the guys that sort of became famous during slam. They also in part became famous because of slam like there are guys that i think of as slam athletes because of how connected i was to seeing them on the cover of that magazine it's it's ai sebastian uh, brandon jennings is someone that's got two covers that i remember seeing and being like i gotta know everything about this kid so uh, to me slam played an integral role in a lot of these guys i also think what they are i think yeah to your point like a lot of those guys they weren't friends of ours, but they would kind of be like friends of the magazine, you know, mm-hmm. and they became like, like Carmelo, um, 
you know, like he was the rookie diary and then he did other things and he eventually guest edited a, an issue, you know, a couple of years ago. Um, but guys like, like Drew Gooden, like I wrote a feature on Drew Gooden and he was just so fun to talk to and so fun to be around. But when I came back, he was in college and I came back and I was like, we got to figure out some way to like, just keep Drew like in the family. And so that's when we started the NBA rookie diary, just to have Drew in the magazine every month and to let him be funny. I talked to him about it recently. Now he's the Wizards color commentary guy on TV. And, uh, and Drew was like, man, I looked at some of those old diaries and we, we put some crazy stuff in there. Like, you probably couldn't get away with it now. And I was like, no, probably not. But at the time, you know, you could do whatever. But I think there were certain players who were just like sort of friends of the of the magazine, I guess you could say. Yeah, or I look at, I was going to say from my time, like Jermaine O'Neal, you know, who was someone I first met at Hoop Summit and uh, the McDonald's game. And I remember like talking to him back at Hoop Summit days about, well, you know, maybe you just go to junior college, you know, and it's like he ends up going in the draft. And like I remember talking to him every time he came to New York or Jersey mm-hmm. when he was with Portland and not really playing. And it's like, you know, you look at all that stuff is like, well, you're just hanging out. You know, if you're a beat writer, you're looking at these guys like, what are you doing? You're, you're not working. And it's like, OK, well, years later when he's in Indiana and he's an all star. You know, we were scrambling for a cover, I think it was at the time. And like, I was trying to get Jermaine through the Pacers and I just ended up texting him and be like, yo, like, do you have, a, can you talk? And I ended up doing like an hour long interview with him while he's sitting on a like chair in a hotel somewhere in the tropics on his freaking like honeymoon, <laughs> you know? And like, he was completely out of touch for like most people, but it's like, we had this prior relationship. So it's like, you know, and like lying with Drew, like I still talk to Jermaine. Like, I still hit him up about stuff. Yeah. Like, you do become friends with some of these guys. And, like, you do understand that, like, at least at the time, like, it's important because, like, again, like, Kobe or LeBron, yeah, they're not, like, texting us, although I think Kobe did give Ryan his number once. Um, but you knew, like, if you put in, if we put in a request for one of those guys, they'd be like, yo, yeah, we're down. Mm. I don't think I don't think either of them like rarely would have said no unless they yeah. really had something crazy going on. Uh, did you guys ever get in trouble with the league or or anyone? And did you did anything ever happen where someone was like, you know, I I, I I'm not going to talk to you guys anymore. The league comes down and you know is pissed off at you guys. Anything ever not the league? I I'll, I'll let Lang tell it, but I think we're both happy that David Stern didn't execute both of us. Oh no, and that was fine. Like I mean, I think a lot of the <laughs> while I was there, a lot of it, a lot of the stuff I worked on. Like Russ talked about us not being able to get credentials. Like I tried pretty hard to kind of play the political game and mm. to kind of you know slam. Eventually, we got a vote in like the MVP awards and all that stuff, and. You know, we got credentials to those things. We got um, all-star, you know, uh, credentials for as many as we needed and all those different types of things. Like, I think it sort of moved Slam a little bit more toward the mainstream, but kind of legitimized us in, in a way in those people's eyes. And eventually, Russ and I got to sit down with David Stern and do this interview with him um, in his office. Um, and, you know, like, after that, a couple different times we had things where, like, I, I called the league and I was like, hey, do you think I could uh, interview – uh, Mr. Stern about this or that. And they would say, sure. And I would get a quote or two from him. And then he would say like, Hey, can I talk to you off the record? I remember one time he, somebody had won the um, U S open. Um, uh, uh, some female tennis player had won the U S open and wore Adidas and she had done her own shoes, like on the Adidas app or whatever at the time. And he was like very curious about it and was asking me all the, off the record. He was like, he goes, is this going to hurt slams business? 
And I was like, I don't think so. I said, I think as long as kids buy sneakers, Slam exists in one way or another. You know, it doesn't matter where they buy them or how they buy them, but as long as that pipeline's in place. But anyway, like, yeah, so like David Stern became somebody we could call or or those type of people. I remember one time I wrote something on Slam Online about, I had asked to do something with the referees and and the league, I'd asked the league if I could do a story on referees or something behind the scenes on referees. And they said, sure. And then they never followed up and it never happened. <laughs> and like months later, I said something on, on Slam Online about it. Um, and I was like, you know, hey, we asked to do something on the refs and the league dropped the ball. And I got a call like a couple hours later from the league and they were like, hey, like, what is this? And I was like, oh, no, it's true. And I forwarded them the emails. <laughs> and then I never heard back from them again about it. But, <laughs> but I don't think we really got like in trouble from, did we? Like, the- I mean, I think pre- Pre you and I, I mean, Russ, Tony would tell the story after the, I think it was the Who's Afraid of Allen Iverson. I mean, he definitely got calls like, what the fuck are you doing? I mean, that yeah. that league was very image conscious and Slam right. was like at the forefront of letting players be players. Mm-hmm. Um, but no, I don't, there was no like outright bands. Um, and then everything just, you know, I think ESPN magazine, you know, when that thing launched and like, you know, started hiring our photographers, our photo editor, like it was clear, like we were no longer cut, you know, we weren't cutting edge. We were being copied like very blatantly. And then social media, like, so it didn't last long, but I do think there was an era where the NBA was like, who the fuck are these guys, you know, presenting our players, presenting our players this way. I think Tony heard about it more than I ever did. Like, you know, I, I look at like, at least like the first half of the time I was there, it was like some straight up like maximum rock and roll times where it's like, we're just doing whatever. And we're mostly doing what the players want. And, you know, I guess that was prior. You know, I always forget like which issues I was editor in chief for, <laughs> but um, you know, it's like we had Penny on the cover with a toothpick in his mouth. You know, it's like the NBA wouldn't have let that fly, but <laughs> you know, we were fine with it. And it's like the NBA only had so much control too. Right. You know, it's like, what are you going to do? Right. If you're the if you're the league or if you're the Timberwolves, you're going to tell Kevin Garnett, who yes. you just gave one hundred twenty one right. million dollar yeah. extension. No. <laughs> yeah. You know, Jonathan Mannion and I went to his house. You know, we spent Ugh. the day at his house like the 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 league could control things to a degree. But it's like, I think at some point they had to realize, like, look, like, again, where this direct conduit of the players to mm-hmm. a fan base that they very much wanted to um wanted to have and i think we did a better job marketing to them than the, the league did i think to, you know, their, I think the, to, to their credit the league realized that though of course yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah that's yeah. what i'm saying though i think that's why they let things slide that maybe they wouldn't have you know it's like they looked at us in the sense that like okay we would never do that but we can let them do that yeah. and benefit from it right so it's like yeah i never got calls from david stern Again, like I remember going to Stern's office with Lang and Lang was the one who got that all set up. And it's like, you know, Bob Lanier's waiting for us. And it's like, oh, oh. God, here we go. <laughs> I remember they into us, the dungeon with J.R. Ryder. They asked us for like, they asked me beforehand if we could send over like the questions we were going to ask. Right, right. And I was like, do you think I'm going to like trick David Stern into like giving up the secrets of the NBA? Like what? Like, what? Like, let's just talk. Can we just talk? So I sent over like some real basic, you know, broad topics. And, but then we just talked. He was great. For the record, that was, that was always my least favorite ask 
for anything like can you send over the questions it's yeah. like yo yeah. you understand like i can send you a list of questions and the only one i can guarantee i'm actually going to ask is the first, first one because right. exactly. like i'm going to ask the first question i'm going to get an answer and i'm going to go off in some other That's direction right. and like i don't know like I yeah there's really things you want to get to but like that's never how it works. Like that always bugged me. Uh, so you guys have all already mentioned some pretty amazing moments. The idea of going to KG's house for, for any, any period of time is sounds thrilling. Uh, this podcast is about moments, how special moments are, how fleeting moments are. What is the best moment you guys each individually have working on slam? Is there a best moment? Is there a moment that sticks out to you? Something that's special. I, Russ, I told this one when, so when Russ's book came out, we did a podcast together about it um, for Grand City Media. And I told this story and I, 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 it, I still choke up half the time I tell this story it was when we went to Chicago for the, the launch of the Jordan 20 something. I don't remember which one it was. I think it was. Yeah. And we went to Chicago and Jordan brand flew a bunch of journalists out there and we spent the day and Michael was there. And so we, we got to do like a Q and a, like a big group Q and a with Michael Jordan and, but that night we went to dinner and um, they took all the journalists to dinner at one of Michael Jordan's restaurants. And, you know, they had like a private room for us, whatever. And Jordan showed up like they didn't mm. think he was going to be there. And he comes walking in the room and Russ and I were at the table with like the Jordan brand PR people. So they jump up and like run off to get him taken care of. And he walks over to us. And so Russ and I stand up and we just start making small talk with Michael Jordan. And, you know, as one does. Yeah. yeah like how, how many restaurants do you own? You know, just whatever. <laughs> We were chatting, chatting, chatting. And I was like, I grew up in Atlanta and Dominique was my guy. And I was never really that big of a, Jordan was like the enemy. I, I was never really a fan of his, but my dad loved him. And my dad would like send me letters to college when I was in school and he'd sign it like, you know, number 23 and stuff like that. So we had this conversation with Michael Jordan for like five minutes. There's a photo of it floating around on the internet somewhere of Russ and, and me and Michael Jordan chatting. Michael Jordan's wearing the torn up jeans and everything. And, uh, <laughs> And, and so finally they, they get Jordan taken care of and he leaves and goes off and I go outside and I call my dad and I'm like, Hey dad, uh, I, I just met Michael Jordan and talked to him for a while. And he goes, what was he like? And I start talking about it and Jordan walks out of the restaurant right then and walks right in front of me. And I go, Hey Mike, uh, I, I, Oh, I said to my dad, Hey, Jordan's here. And my dad's like, tell him I said, hi. And I go, Hey Mike, thanks again for oh talking. Great to meet you. And my dad says, hi. And he goes, Hey, good to meet you too. Tell your dad. I said, hi. And oh. I go, dad. And he goes, I heard. Holy shit. And I'm like, how how will I ever top that? Oh my God. What a story. Ben, would you have a favorite moment, Ben? uh, 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 Is there a special moment? It doesn't have to be your favorite. It can be a special moment, an important moment for you. Mark Jackson. I mean, there's there's so many. And I was at that Jordan event, but my daughter had just been born and I actually Uh, left before the dinner. uh, So... But I got to, I, I did get a one-on-one interview with Mike. I, you know, consider Mark Jackson a pretty good friend now, which would never have happened Ugh. without Slam. But the, honestly, when you asked it, like I've probably answered different things, but what what came to me was um, when the Heat won the title, the LeBron's first, and mm-hmm. we had the high haters yeah. cover line, mm-hmm. which um, I think Dave Schnur and I came up with at a bar and. Portland on a Nike trip watching the Heat close out the Thunder in five games and not that it's like that controversial a statement but you know we we argued if it was the right cover or not and when the cover dropped 
uh, you know, we put it out on Twitter early on and LeBron like reshared it, you know, hashtag epic shout out slam online. Ugh. And it felt like the at a time when, you know, he still had his enemies. Maybe I was being over defensive because in many ways we were mainstream, but like I was the editor. I still felt defensive sometimes about where we fit in it to have him reshare what we said, which was pretty much a defensive state. What's that one? Is that him holding it up? Yeah, exactly. Like I was like, you buy all of those. No, I think Jim, (laughs) I think we gave them to Jim ice and Jim ice. Yeah. Yeah. Um, But Neil, it just felt like the ultimate, ultimate validation. It's like, we care um, about the players and they're, you know, the message is being heard and that I, you know, I was on vacation and like, I just, I just remember seeing when he did that, like, you know, we thought maybe he'd ignore it. Maybe he would distance himself because he doesn't want to come off that way. And it's like hashtag epic. I mean, it it was by the king, you know, it was just I was always so, so proud of that. Um, But lot, you know, and then tons of things like with the, you know, lots of other just funny things on the road and drinking, laughing, music, you know, like probably not safe for the air but um it was just there were just so many so many good times but like professionally that lebron cover was kind of the highlight amazing uh uh, russ lang mentions mj ben mentions lebron you better have a bill russell story or something (laughs) hey i'm not that old um (laughs) tell us about Uh, when you met george george mikan He was in high school. Um, I have an infinite number of stories, but I'm going to give you three. And one is going to be about a different play. Well, two of them will be about the same player, but different. So like to, to Ben's point with a cover, I think the cover I was most psyched on, like, or most proud of, or look back at most, like from when I was editor was Shaq and Kobe and Shaq with that giant shit eating grin pointing at his ring finger. And I just remember like telling my only instruction for, I think it was through Melissa to tell the photographer, Melissa Brennan, who was the creative director at the time, was like, have one of them pointing at his ring finger. Because the whole thing was like, these guys are going to plow through and win. And thank God they did. I mean, <laughs> there are infinite numbers of stories from back then where it's like, you're shooting three months, four months in advance. Like, right. you got to hope, like, first of all, the guy doesn't get traded. Yeah. Second of all, they don't get hurt. Right. And third of all, whatever concept you come up with actually plays out and like you know in a history filled with like mean mugging dudes like to have this super crazy smile on the cover pointing at the ring finger and it comes true was like just like the moment in that regard like i could retire happy off that oh my god Um, the longer story though is kobe and like you know again this goes back to like we're just having conversation with guys, you know, it's like, we're not in the locker room to be like, okay, in the third quarter, when you sagged off and the guy hit a jumper over you, what were you thinking? Like, we're not doing that. Yes. So like, this is 2001 DC all-star. And, you know, back then, I think like, even at media availability, you just had like, the media was literally a mob. Like it would just Mm -hmm. crowd around Mm -hmm. and go from guy to guy and get all this stuff. So, I'm in the West locker room. And at that point, most of the media is in the East. I forget who they were like talking to, but probably Iverson or whoever. And they hadn't made it over to the West yet. So like, it's pretty, it's pretty empty and Kobe's there. And I'm like, you know, I start talking to him about whatever I, that 
I, I've had to look back at this story to remember it right. And it's true. Like they were playing the Nets right after all, the All-Star break. So like, I wanted to talk to him about that, whatever else. And we're just chatting, like whatever, BSing about playing as Steph and whatever. So like the guy next to him wasn't there. So I just grabbed the chair and sat down. So we're just like going back and forth. I'm not taping any of this. We're not, you know, doing a real interview. And at some point during this conversation, I just look up and the media had found its way into the West locker room. And like the, basically the entire national media is waiting to talk to Kobe. (laughs) And I, I just cut it short and I'm like, yo, like, I'll catch you later. Like I just stood up and made room for everyone else. Cause it's like, you know, that's what it was. Like, you're just there talking to guys. You're just building for later. Mm -hmm. Um, You know, sometimes you're getting, and that's my favorite Lang story actually was a Knicks Blazers game when we were doing a Sheed story and Rashid refused to talk to anybody else and only took Lang's questions, um, <laughs> which he peppered with a few questions about the game to get the rest of the media to go away. Uh, um, but that was just off like what we were able to build up. And the last story I'll tell, and this is super short, um, my mom's favorite player was Steve Kerr. My parents weren't basketball <laughs> fans, but like they got into it because of me and my mom starts watching the Bulls and like Kerr becomes her favorite player. So one year I'm like, yo, I'm going to get a Christmas card from Steve Kerr to my mom. Mm. And uh, I think this was when he was with the Spurs. And like, I just brought a card like in my bag and he was actually on the bench at the garden. Like this was pregame and I brought it out. I was like, yo, like Steve, like I know this is crazy, but would you mind signing this card to my mom? And like, (laughs) he actually like wrote it out and she still has it. I don't think, I don't think I ever heard that. I didn't either. Yeah. I'm amazed. I didn't get like my, uh, credential revoked for that, but it would have been worth it. <laughs> I did get accused of getting an autograph once, and I think I was giving like Milt Palacio a, 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 a shot <laughs> from Slam. And I remember telling like, I think it was Brian at the Knicks at the time, because he like pulled me out of the locker room. I'm like, dude, do you really think I would risk my credential getting a like an autograph from like Milt a fringe player? Like, what are you, are you insane? How dare you? How dare you? Drag Milt Palacio down like that. If I'm gonna blow my credential, it's gonna be from like getting Patrick Ewing to sign like 40 cards that I could sell on no. eBay. <laughs> Russ used to get amazing fist bumps from Patrick Ewing, by the way, who would oh, ignore everyone God. else and always de- oh, always give Russ the, the strong pound. But that was another one, right? Like I barely ever talked to Pat. Like Pat was wild intimidating back then because he'd come like <laughs> bouncing a basketball like shoulder high and i'm talking shoulder high on ewing and they'd be like all right you got two minutes so it's like i'm not breaking into that but like we developed this like literal non-speaking rapport and come i think it was 2007 you're like mimes 2007 i did an interview with him at the finals in cleveland and he was like it was great like he was down to do it and i swear to god like part of it was because of that that's amazing. I, ben, I thought when when you said fist bumps, I thought you were going to say Garnett cuz I just wrote about him and like I just like he would never speak pregame. But like when he walked by me anytime, like he would sort of nod and just like hit me in the chest and it's Ugh. like yeah. Man, come on, Kevin. Kobe, Kobe used to do that to me and he I don't know if he knew my name, but he knew I was from Slam and he right. would always give me like the hard Ugh. chest bump. It's weird now my son's 11 and um 
is obsessed with basketball and sneakers. And I feel like I, you know, I'm to blame for this, but just the other day he opened up a pack of cards and he goes, Hey, I got this uh, throwback uh, Latrell Sprewell card. And I was like, Oh, that was the first feature I wrote for slam. Oh. That was like one of the first stories you got to do. And he was like, did you know him? And I go, yeah, like we, he actually still has my copy of uh, the DVD of Legend of the Drunken Master. I let him borrow it and he kept it <laughs> and never gave it back. And uh, and my son's like, so are you friends with him? And I'm like, no. Like I don't. And I was like, I know all these guys, but like I don't feel like I was like I was friends with maybe two or three of them. But like I I just know them all, you know. Like and if I right. see them somewhere, even now, like if I saw them, I'm sure I could go up and say, hey, what's up? How you been? Da da da. You know, but. But like that was part of our job was just kind of having a not friendship really, but a relationship, I guess, right. with with all those guys. And but, that's the thing, right? You have like parasocial relationships now, but I don't think it was that. Yeah. You know, it, it was just like a different degree. I mean, we are all, I think, still in touch with at least some of these guys. Oh yeah. It, a, a question for all of you: Is there a player in in the time that you covered the NBA, either? with slam or now is there a player that you have a uh is there a player that surprised you someone you thought was going to be this way ended up being this way that you you know have a continuing relationship with is there is there a singular player that sort of sticks out in your in your career hmm. i mean are you talking like personal wise or basketball wise i mean uh, no not necessarily basketball wise but like for example, is there someone that you go, I had no idea how funny this guy was. This guy made me laugh for an hour straight. Or is there someone that you go, yeah, we connected and we still, you know, message each other once a year and we just check in on each other. Is there someone that you go, this is a person that ended up being special to me and that I, you know, you know, stay connect connected with or whatever your answer might be. I mean, I, I have one that, you know, Lang could claim this as well, but like, I think as a New Yorker, it's even kind of more special. Like, you know, Kenny Anderson was an absolute, you know, New York legend, like mm -hmm. a basketball Left savant that seemed un unreachable, you know, like Dick Vitale is screaming about him. He's the best point guard ever. You know, he's on a pedestal and, you know, we've gotten to know him so well, it's almost like, you know, we the, then then you see him become a thing on Twitter, you know, for his goofiness but like i can text him anytime get a my guy how's it going <laughs> you know like just like he he the humbleness and like you know like he didn't build himself up like all the accolades were external you know i mean he's been very frank about it if you watch his movie like this dude was struggling this is a regular kid that just happened to be unbelievably gifted but like one of the most given the the peak that he was at between 16 and 20 like the normalcy of Kenny Anderson mm. and like approachability, like that one's pretty, that one's pretty special. Uh, I would say, you know, I'm still in touch with a bunch of those dudes. Um, I mean, Sean Kemp was somebody who I, I actually, we still talk once or twice a year, maybe he'll reach out. Um, Steph uh, Marbury and I became, you know, friendly throughout all that. Um, but one of the Kevin guys was, Kevin Willis is oh, a guy. Kevin Willis. Um, Dominique, you know, like I, I got to know Dominique through all this stuff. Dominique Wilkins. Um, but one of the ones who um, I, I'm I, I still in very close contact with is Nick Collison from the uh. Sonics, um, who came up to me in the locker room in New Jersey, I guess his rookie or something. And he's like, hell, are you Lang Whitaker? And I go, yeah. And he goes, I read, I read the links every day. I, I'm a mm. fan. 
And so we start talking and now he's like an assistant GM with the Thunder. But, um, you know, I, 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 we texted two days ago. Like we, I, I'm still very close with Nick and um, they're just random people around the league. I, you know, on, I'm on the morning, one of the morning shows here that Grind City Media does. They make me tell these stories and they have a little music name dropping with Lang thing that they play because I because like we know all these random dudes from you know the 90s and 2000s and early 2010s or whatever that we I mean Russ who, who are you going to come out with I know you've got some crazy ones in your phone well I was going to say as these guys can attest to I'm terrible keeping in touch with people um so it's like I don't even necessarily talk to guys as much as Lang or Ben does but like um you know when I was doing the book like a lot of the guys I reached out to were guys I had prior relationships with who I do talk to. Um, you know, Steve Nash is definitely one. Like, and I think I got to know him a little bit better when he was doing his uh, charity soccer game in the Lower East Side. Like, we talked more during that, mm. I think, than even what, during his playing days. Although Ryan and I spent a drunken night out with Mark Cuban, which was interrupted by Dirk Nowitzki and Steve Nash once, but... Um, yeah, enough about that. Um, and I'm kind of the opposite of Lang. Like I grew up a Michael Jordan fan, like Jordan got me into basketball, but I got to know Nick over the years and he's a guy who I reach out to pretty often, you know, even if it's just say like happy birthday or whatever else, like, um, and it's kind of funny, like the first time I ever interviewed Dominique for a slam, like we had this amazing conversation and talking about like the 88 dunk contest. It was one of the first times I remember like him, anyone talking to him about it and we get off the phone and I rewind the tape and play it back. And it's just static. Mm. So that was bad. Um, <laughs> Did you just make it up? No, 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 no. That was deaded. That was deaded. We never, we never ran that. I didn't um, want to my interview T-Mac for kicks and he was in like Romania and they were filming like an Adidas commercial over there. And we did this long, we did like a 10 minute phone interview and I hit play and it was, it didn't work. Yeah. And, uh, and T-Mac called me back the next day from Romania and did a second interview oh, <laughs> for wow. that thing, which was ridiculous. The, the only, the only other bad thing I remember like that was going to actually a slam basketball camp. Which was, I think that's when they first started to really branch out with the name. Like, I had nothing yeah. to do with this. Like, mm -hmm. I'm just like, how is this even happening? <laughs> and uh, Paul Pierce was there. And I was going to interview him. And we sit down to do it. And I reached in my bag for my tape recorder. And I didn't have one. So, like, that that was one of my, like, um, what it feels like to be a reporter in the 1950s. Like, just, like, <laughs> writing everything down. Um, which was, like, a horror show. Like, my handwriting in situations like that is kind of like uh mission impossible. Like if I don't read it back within 15 minutes, it's like gone. it just becomes inscrutable <laughs> garbage. Um, but that actually ended up working out. Um, yeah. So I don't know. I mean, Jermaine like is probably the guy I talk to the most often, like, and it's crazy watching like, you know, his daughter become a volleyball legend at Texas. And like mm. now his son is playing, um, I don't know. And, and generally speaking, this doesn't have to do with that question, but like watching all these NBA players, kids yeah. becoming amazing basketball players in their own right is just wild. I bet. That's very weird. Carlos yeah, Boozer's might... kids aren't supposed to be like, <laughs> you know, highly recruited guys. Like that's insane. Oh, and now all these God. guys are like coaches and, and like, you know, they're in positions GMs. of power. Yeah. Like it's crazy to see uh kd messaged me the other day because i posted a picture of my kid um we were in new york and in the in the nba store there's like a kevin durant lego 
thing. Yes. And my son wanted a picture with it. So we took it and I tagged Kevin and he messaged me, Oh, they grow up so fast or something. Uh, and I was like, I was like, you're growing up fast. Like all like these guys are the ones who've grown up fast. Right. Like, how are you 35? Whatever. Yeah. It's there's, still like one of the three best players in the NBA. There's um, whenever I see them bring back old title teams, and they walk them onto the floor of the field, and you see these guys out of their jerseys, and they're a little, you know, aged. They look a little different, uh, but they always have that really lovely, warm smile. You can see them all reconnecting. Not to, not to like you know just choose this you know very cliche thing but the band is back together you see these guys get back together there's this warmth there's the laughing they're pushing each other there's a connection you can see that they have something that goes years and years and years back it's d- way deeper than anything that you know or could ever understand as a fan mm-hmm. or viewer there's a connection and a warmth there's a maturity there's a reconnection there's just a something special and i want to say i see that now with the three of you being able to sort of watch you all have these conversations and remember these moments to see you all smiling at the same time and laughing and turning away. It's very lovely and it's very warm and it makes me appreciate my own age and my own maturity. And it just is a, it's been a very special episode. Uh, and I thank all of you for coming on. Yeah. You're so welcome and thank you. And I literally, before you even made the comparison to the great teams, like the thing I was going to say was how good it is to see these guys. It is the 30th anniversary. They have an issue coming out that I think all three of us are in, which is pretty dope. Probably hasn't been the case. And I think, hope there will be some sort of party in the spring. You know, you know, I'll be there. I'm right here. Russ is only in Long Island. I will be, you know, begging Lang to come up like how, you know, like, how special it is because it was fleeting and, you know, we were together 12 hours a day for four years. Mm. And then you, next thing you know, you see them once every four years, you know? Yeah. Like, yeah. So if, if there could be some sort of, you know, reunion and the, the family has grown and, you know, we've met. So, you know, I get it. It's way more interesting to hear about the great players that we met and became friends with, but think of the friendships we made with other writers, yes. photographers, social media people, mm. NBA people, like the, the extended slam fam is just so dope. And, you know, to see anyone that is affiliated with that in person is super, super special. So yeah, Neil, if, if that party happens, I think it will have big, uh, championship reunion vibes who's gonna organize that because that can be us <laughs> no man that's figs that could be uh, uh, okay i was gonna say speaking of championships i think we all need our numbers retired at that party um <laughs> i expect a banner i'm, I'm gonna um, boo your, i'm gonna boo your widow at the party. <laughs> <laughs> damn it thelma um but no like and, and the thing is like these relationships last you know it's like we haven't all done something like this in a long time, mm-hmm. but we still work together. You know, like we still do things. I wrote something for Ben, for Ren that, you know, I hadn't really written anything like that in a while. Um, you know, when Lang hit me up about doing a 15 part podcast for the book, which seemed insane. It's like, you know, normally you talk about something like that and it's like, damn, this is going to take so much prep. And I'm not, um, saying yeah, that did. Lang didn't prepare for it, but <laughs> I sure did. You know, it's like my preparation was writing the book. You know, it's like 
And I knew like Lang and I hadn't had those kind of conversations in a long time. You know, it's like, we'll see each other and we'll talk on social media, but like, you know, we sat down and do that first episode and it's just like, yo, like you're back in the slam office. Um, and actually briefly before we get to Lang too, like I, I, when you did that intro and had all those titles and whatever else, I was like, damn, if slam was around now, we could sell naming rights to the slam dome. Oh yeah, we, we were so yeah. simple about it. Like we could have like had corporate sponsorship. Totally. I was kind Good of idea. upset about that. But anyway, no, I appreciate you getting us together like this. It's been it's, fun. You know, I'm, I'm, I'm like sitting here and I'm, I'm, I'm going warmth and maturity and, and laughing and smiling and, you know, connection. I'm, I'm rifling through these words and I'm realizing what it is. I, you guys, those, the, the old players, the old teams, when they get together and, and you guys as well, I can see that you love each other and that's lovely. I love seeing it. I love being a, a small part of it. I love being next to you guys as you're doing. I can see that you love each other. It's fantastic. And, and thank you for coming out before we leave. I need all of you to tell me what your favorite cover is. You know, we, we, we I don't want to make this about me, but I have a lot of my own preferences in terms of the favorite color cover. I'm going to hold off and, and say what my favorite is at the very end, but I want to hear what the favorite cover is from all three of you before we get going. The first cover story I wrote was the uh, Stefan Coney Island one. Yeah. So that's probably for me. The I yeah, just moved nice. to New York and uh, I remember we, my girlfriend now wife at the time and I were living in some little apartment on like the East forties and we were moving to a kind of a more permanent situation on the West side. And I had, it was the day of the photo shoot. So I had to be gone while we were doing the moving. And at one point during the shoot, I asked Steph, I was like, you know, Hey, I got to get my girlfriend a present. Cause like, I'm, I'm not part of this and I need to do something to kind of like, you know, apologize. What do you think I Here, should give her these diamonds? <laughs> I was like, what do you think I should bring? And Steph thought about it. I was like, like flowers. He thought about it for a second. He goes, maybe get her a purse. <laughs> I was like, a purse. That's it. All right. But I don't know that cover was really special to me because I just moved to New York and I just kind of started at Slam and it was like you know the first time I got to like have my have do a cover story like that and it turned out to be like a, an awesome cover and issue and all that. Uh, ben, what is your what's your favorite cover? Slam one hundred and six. Braun is the new. Here's your new logo. Couldn't have done it without Lang or photographer Atiba Jefferson. But just again another. It was my first one as editor in chief. And like the time that it took LeBron, we were ahead of the curve. People were still hating on him. We were saying he should be the logo. Lang goes out there. Atiba goes out there. He gives us the time. Dennis let us not have a you know top line on the cover, so it could just build out. And you know, I mean, it's way underrated in my opinion. No one, no one, no one ever lists that one. But that that one since the day it dropped has been my. I know. I think people listen. I, you know, part of the idea, Ben, with that, where you remember, like, we used to always go in the locker room and Rashid would always be coloring in the logo with a black Sharpie <laughs> on his, like, hat or socks or whatever. But part of me was thinking, like, like I remember we talked a lot about, like, there should be a current, like, the logo should be changed. And somebody, somebody in the office had, like, the Iverson silhouette turned into the logo. I remember seeing that somewhere around, too, at the time. But, yeah, I remember LeBron was so awesome that day and, like, super helpful and, he got it right away, and and that, I, I agree with you. That cover is is a special one. I also appreciate you uh, dropping a team's name into this, uh, who I sort of deeply connect him to this to this. Program. Yeah, uh, Russ, what about you? Favorite cover? I'm going to give you two. Um, one of them super obvious, and I'm sure Lang and Ben can like 
they know which one I'm going to say. And it's Slam 32. Allen Iverson's Soul on Ice. I have a blow up of it, like right over here that he signed. Mm. Um, you know, that that was my first cover story I got to write. I actually wasn't at the shoot, which thank God, because I think Iverson was roughly somewhere between eight and 12 hours late for it. And that's <laughs> seemed- that. A, that's fine because normally he just wouldn't show up at all. So that's a plus. Um, (laughs) But like, I mean, I think that cover really like not only put us on the map, but kind of helped even establish like, you know, we had done Iverson on the cover two times previous to that. But like that was like the Iverson cover. Mm -hmm. And it's like you look back at that. That was 1999. He hadn't played on an all-star game yet. Like he wasn't MVP yet. Like, um. you know, he was kind of still coming into his own. And I think that cover really like established like so much, including Mitchell and Ness. We should all like yes. have stock in that company. <laughs> um, but the other one to me is Tim Duncan in the yes. ice throne. Yes. How and the hell like, did you get him to sit on that ice throne? <laughs> I have no idea why he said yes. I mean, other than it being like George Gervin. But, like, that was another one where it's, like, I remember coming up with that because, like, we had that Gervin shot up in the office for it, right it was right by your desk. Wasn't yeah, it? and, like, yeah. trying to, like, just, like, for something like that to go from, like, oh, shit, what if we get Tim Duncan mm-hmm. to do the George Gervin mm-hmm. pose to, like, Tim Duncan actually saying yes <laughs> and Melissa actually finding an ice sculptor in San Antonio. Um, Incredible. You know, and, and that's where, like, when when – Ben mentioned the no top line thing. It made me mad because I'm like, how do you have Tim Duncan sitting in an ice throne that literally no one else on the planet would have gotten him to do? And you would still insist on like covering that entire image with lines because like, God forbid someone want to buy that issue because like Kendall Gill is in it. Like, sorry, Kendall. Like, yo, like at some point, like, isn't there like a, a cost reward thing here? Like, Oh man, like Tim Duncan on this ice throne is boring, but hey, look, they covered Lucius Harris. Um Yeah, that that was always a push and pull, but like, you know, that issue to me like again, like I think a lot of people looked at Tim Duncan as being like kind of this staid, boring, like um, you know, not very interested guy, and it's like man, like Timmy was one of my favorites. Like Lang can speak to this too cuz like Lang got to do stories on him, but like yeah, we got to know him really well after that, and he was he was like he was so quiet on the court, but then mm. it turned out he was like just a, he loved video games, and and mm. we got we kind of had this weird relationship with him story? after that. Who wrote that story? What, did you I think Scoop wrote that Scoop? one. Yeah, yeah Scoop did. But I did some story. It was like a Spurs oral history or something, and I went to San Antonio and and ended up becoming friendly with Tim over video games, and then after that he. He did a couple like Q and A's with us and like a lot of like stuff that he wouldn't do other places. One time I had to do is I, I was supposed to do a Q and A with him. They were in New York. It was Valentine's day. And he asked me to come to the game and do the interview after the game. And I was, I was like, look, I'm willing to do it, man. But it, it, like I, it's Valentine's day. And I have like this dinner reservation with my wife. And if you want me to come, I'll come. No worries. And he was like, nah, don't worry, but I'll call you tomorrow. And he did it. He did it another time. Like just, out of out of that just to be nice yeah i think my my favorite thing with tim was like we did the kicks cover with adidas and it was kg t mac and tim duncan and like i sat down basically to i mean it was to conduct an interview with the three of them but basically it was just to like just to be there you know it's like i was just like 
the host. You know, it's like those guys just busting on each other and Tim being as part of it as anybody else. You know, it's like, I don't think he said it quite as much as KG does because no one talks about as KG does. <laughs> but like, you know, he was right there with it. You know, he would like deliver that like dagger line. And, you know, I don't know. Tim, Tim was just, Tim was a lot of fun. Tim was a lot of fun. You got him in a situation like that. Uh, Russ, you mentioned the Solon Ice cover. Uh, photographer Clay McBride told Anscape that Alan Iverson told him that is, quote, quote, the best picture to ever taken of me, uh, which is must be thrilling for Clay McBride as a photographer. It's clearly a, you know, top five bare minimum uh, slam cover of all time. Uh, Alex Wong, who wrote the great book uh, cover story on Slam Magazine, told a story on a podcast I listened to that uh, AI had previous to that episode, previous to that issue, rather, AI had been on the cover of Hoop Magazine, which was an official NBA publication, and they photoshopped some of his tattoos off. Yep. So, yeah. I mean, that's yep. wild to think about. And you guys pushing these uh, gentlemen out as they were, who they were, it was important. I'm glad that you did it. Thank you for doing it. It's it, Now that you guys and your answers are out of the way, we can finally get to me and my favorite cover. That's what this whole goddamn thing is about. Thank God we're finally here. I want to mention that as I think about uh, covers, the first one that sort of jumps to my mind is when you guys did generation nets champs by 2001 i was like what the hell like in my head i was like and i you know as a diehard laker fan my entire life i'm just like what the hell why are they to get and you guys did the 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 rafer episode where you're like best point guard you've never heard of you guys would go out on a limb with things and it would it it always stuck with me and you guys did a second nets cover two mm-hmm. did you not where you also yep. were like this is like the best team or something ever and i'm like what the hell are these guys doing but it was that sort of audacity and that sort of stepping out on that limb that really connected to me and made them so memorable that's not my answer i also want to uh grant hill just like mike only better yeah you guys did some really Tony gutsy stuff god damn um the the other one I want to sort of take my hat off to was the Rock La Familia or Rock LA Familia with the uh, Odo yeah. and Darius and Elton. That just really feels like a time capsule. It really, f- I look at that cover and I go, "Yes, I remember that era. I remember that time. I remember seeing that flipping through that magazine." But my the answer I'm going to say is uh, Chris Webber, Jason Williams, double platinum. I looked at that cover and was jealous that that those guys didn't play for the Lakers. And that's what meant a lot to me is I looked at those two guys, the chemistry they have, the flair with which they played and, and the, the, the connection that they seem to have as players. And I was like, they're so cool. And I wish I was them. I wish they were on my team. I wish I could cheer for them. That's my answer. Double platinum. That to me is still the coolest. I still, till this day, I'll look at that cover and be like, God damn, those two guys are cool as hell. I think that was my first like official cover as editor in chief. Mm. Like I technically was taking over when the, we did the Garnett cover. Um, I still have like a Kings home opener size like double XL t shirt signed by both of them mm. from that shoot. Um, and Ben knows this. I, I don't know. Lang probably does too. But like that was supposed to be a split cover. Like Weber and Williams were supposed to be on the West Coast. Van Horn and Marbury were supposed to be on the East Coast. 
I wrote the story about, I wrote the Van Horn Marbury story. And I remember like we went to a preseason game they played against the Knicks. And I, I want to say like, I'd have to look back, but like, I want to say like Steph had 35, Keith had like 31. They won the game. And I don't know if we had done the shoot already, but like, so the season starts and I think the Nets opened that season like one and nine. Like they, they just came off on like the exact opposite of a heater. And it was like, <laughs> we can't do this as a cover. Like there's no way. <laughs> so like the Nets being like dumpster juice that season led to like Weber and Williams getting a national cover, which as it turned out was, was a good thing. It's so cool. I, I associate guys like uh, Jason Williams with Slam Magazine with that era and that attitude and that energy. And and honestly, it's the heart of what I want this podcast to be. It's, it's not just about the sport. It's about entertainment. There is a level past athletic excellence, and it is combining that excellence and that execution with pure, unadulterated entertainment. Um, Slam Magazine celebrating his 30th anniversary this year. I'm so glad to do it with these gentlemen. I'm going to act like I know all of you and like I'm very good friends with all of you. I hope you're prepared for that. Thank you all for coming on. I really appreciate it. Thank you, Neil. Absolutely. Look, I I wanted to add an epilogue to that because you brought up a two-man cover. Like, the two-guy covers were kind of awesome. And like one that I think is forgotten that I would like to add is my third favorite cover. And Lang, I think, is knows what I'm going to bring up. I don't know if Ben does. Steve Francis and Yao Ming. Yeah. <laughs> that was like, and I remember there being discussions about it when we did it. And I could like picture now like that image in Quark and like, wait a minute, if we fit all of Yao's head, like Steve Francis is literally going to be like <laughs> peeking up from the bottom, like Bushwick right. Bill. Like, so like, I think people thought it was an accident, but like we cut Yao's head off on purpose. Cause he was so damn tall. Mm. Um, and Steve was, Steve was standing on a box too. Like, and he's he like six, three, like he's thing. not yeah. tiny, but like, Man. yeah, that, that, the two guy covers were cool. And like, that was probably the coolest of them. But anyway, yeah, appreciate having us on. We could probably do this for another like three hours. I was gonna say I could talk about this for I could talk about this forever. LeBron in a Knicks jersey. You've had I believe it's eighteen women on the cover of Slam. Uh, uh, you know, KG and and Marbury together, and then recreating with Kevin Love and Ricky Rubio. The '96 rookie class. Like we've not discussed the '96. It's we could do this forever. I'd love to. I'm going to just call you guys and, and text you, and we'll just do this. We and we, not we put Shamiqua on the cover in a Knicks jersey yes. and, and pissed off uh, Pat Summit. May she rest in peace. <laughs> she was not happy about that. Oh, my gosh. it's It's been a blast to talk to you guys and get to know you a little bit. Thank you so much again for coming on. Thanks. Anytime, man. Great to see you guys. Yeah, anytime. We'll, we'll, we'll get back together for the 60th anniversary. That's it. That's the show. My thanks to Russ Bengston, Lang Whitaker, and of course, my friend Ben Osborne. Thanks for helping me put this together. The work from you three, the rest of the staff, and also, namely, Scoop Jackson, that work, it mattered. It matters. Basketball fans pay your respects at the altar of Slam Magazine. Credits. Jessica Singh runs this whole thing. Robbie Bobby is my editor and partner. EJ Cabasal is my new producer. DA David Estramskis is my Balls Life producer. Rhythm J makes all the first ballot beats. Follow him on social at Rhythm J. 
rate and review us if you would please and please come back next week for more first ballot also i want everybody that's listening at this point to know that i don't have to record these new and fresh every week i could just reuse the credits from a given week prior but i don't do that because i won't skip steps how will i ever top that you know